Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. I'm Sally Gentry. And thank you for listening, guys. Thegiftedlife.org. We hope you spread the word. Today, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about living donation. Yeah, I know we talked about living donation before, but this is going to be a little different. We'll talk about the challenges and the hurdles that must be overcome so that donation can take place. Don't want to miss it. And you know what I find interesting is the fact of, of these folks still have to go through basically the same sort of psychological testing and, of course, the physical testing before oh. they can be a donor. We hope that um, you help us spread the word about what we're doing here. We're easy to find, as always. Rate us, subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or whatever your favorite podcast app might be. Maybe you're on social media. Sally, I see you out there on Facebook. We're yes, doing Life Louisiana. Yep. We appreciate you sharing the podcast, girl, and you too, you listening there. Um, on Instagram and Twitter, we're at Donate Life LA. And don't forget, you can always log on the Gifted Life. We want to hear from you. We want you to be part of this movement to help save more lives through organ tissue and eye donation. Lots to get to, huh? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. All right, guys, joining us now on The Gifted Life, we have Miss Nicole Gladfelter. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How about yourself? Good. This isn't the first time we've met, right, Nicole? That is correct. We met in Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City, Utah. Sally, what was happening in Salt Lake City not too long ago? Oh, my gosh. I think it was the transplant games, right? The transplant (laughs) games. Remember, we sent The Gifted Life podcast crew there to capture these stories, and boy, did we capture some stories. And this is one that we brought back, and we said we really need to share this story with more people. So, Nicole, we appreciate you joining us here on The Gifted Life. She actually um, gave the gift of life to someone that she knew, right? Um, And she has quite the story to tell. So, welcome, Nicole. Tell us about your um, transplant journey. This started back when you were college age, 21, 22, Right. And there was a, a guy that you knew who was in need. Of course. So first, thank you so much for having me. I love getting the chance to share my story and just make other people aware of how awesome living donation is and, and how I can still go on and have a normal life. And it's such a minimal part of my being. It didn't take much for me to do what I did. So I decided to... um Start this process and get tested um, when my minister from the church I attended when I was growing up was sick. I had started the process of questions and research and, and kind of trying to bug everyone my junior year of college. And for about two years, my questions and my contacts had gone unanswered, which I later found out um, my now donor family kept putting the transplant center off to having me tested since I was so young and still in school and this wasn't something that I needed to to do but as time went on and as donor or potential donors failed testing and dialysis began they finally figured hey what's the chances that this girl's going to be a match 
let's just have her blood tested. It's not going to be a match, and then she'll leave us alone. I don't think people tell you no, Nicole. You seem like you're a go-getter. Yeah. That, and that is what I told them afterwards. I said, <laughs> I, I knew this was something I was going to do. It was something I wanted to do, and I, I, I really felt like I was meant to do it. And I finally, after all of my testing and after I met with the doctors and after everyone finally said, okay, this is a go-ahead, I, I, to- I told my doctors, I said, I told you so. I said, this was something <laughs> I was going to do. And there was no way you could convince me otherwise or try to get other people to convince me otherwise. I wanted to do it and I was going to do it. Yeah. So she's college age. She's determined. There's somebody that she knows that needs a kidney and she wants to be this living donor. And so um, that's what kind of got our attention. She fought for this road. And so what were the biggest things that they were telling you that could be detrimental? Like what, what were their big reasons? So I was just out of college, 23 years old, um, a lot of transition in my life, looking for a job, had just moved, newly engaged, had never had a child at the point. Um, So their biggest concern um, was that I wasn't old enough to understand the implications of becoming a living donor um, and kind of respecting the potential consequences that could come along with it. Um, And then the biggest medical concern was the fact that I hadn't had children yet. They weren't sure how my body would respond to carrying a pregnancy full term with just the one kidney. Um, So I kind of had to convince the doctors that you know, me being able to carry a child wasn't a given if I had two kidneys, let alone one. Um, But if I was meant to have children in this life, that God would provide a way for me to have children. Yeah. And you know, it was kind of neat, guys, at the transplant games. We met Nicole. We met proud mom. Was it Tammy? That is correct. Yeah. And she was just proud of this girl. And I said, so what was going through your mind when all this was happening? And she said, I just couldn't be any prouder of this child. Oh, wow. That's great. (laughs) Which was pretty neat. And so we talked about um, the fear of you not being able to have a child, but I saw you running around with a toddler, right? Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. Yes, I now have uh, an almost two-year-old who I carry to term with absolutely no complications. The biggest fears were gestational diabetes and preeclampsia, and I had absolutely no issues or concerns at all. My That's goodness. Great. Did you go back and, and tell anybody that was kind of giving you pushback <laughs> about these I, successes? I I sure as heck did. So, <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't see my my transplant team on rare. I see them rarely now that I am um, six years out. Um, but I did make sure to call them and let them know that I was expecting and that um, so far everything was going well. And actually, the doctor who performed my surgery and was the major pushback. Um, he had called me personally and congratulated me on the pregnancy and just kind of wanted to be kept updated and see how everything went. Um, and when my son was just a few months old, I did take him down to Temple University and he got to meet my transplant coordinator oh, and a nice. uh, few of my surgeons. What's his name? I, I didn't get to meet him. His name is Matthias and he Matthias. is a little ball of energy. Awesome. <laughs> a cute little thing too. But then I said, "Hey, can I take a picture?" And he posed. Hey, I like that. <laughs> Two years old. So the transplant was in 2012, Nicole. What happened in 2015 for you? So in 2015, I actually got married to my college sweetheart. Okay. Um, and he was beside my, or he was beside me the entire time. I was going through the testing, uh-huh. the surgery, the recovery. 
Um, so in 2015, when we were getting married, it only seemed fitting that my high school minister, the man who now has my kidney, perform our wedding ceremony. So he, <laughs> I actually had like one kidney on either side of the altar. <laughs> getting the chills over here uh, talking about this. So it seems like you guys have this great relationship, right? We do. We do. Yes. And then transplant games, we, you were there. But um, your recipient wasn't able to be there because he's living life, a life that you helped him uh, get, right? Yes. So my biggest reason for um, insisting on being the donor for the individual that I, I was, um, he and his wife were not able to have their own children because of his disease. Um, so after years of infertility and testing and just a lot of disappointment, they adopted a daughter from China. Um, she was about nine years old when the time came for him to be put on dialysis. And it, it was kind of really now or never for the, the transplant. And I insisted that after them fighting so hard to, you know, get to this point and be able to have a daughter and now having a daughter, you know, for nine years that um, I just I couldn't let her grow up without a dad knowing I wouldn't have you know, become who I am without having my father in my life. Um, so this year she is actually getting ready to start her college application. So they went on a countrywide college tour trying to pick out the best schools for her to oh, start applying wow. to. So I figured if there was ever an excuse and <laughs> games, this was it. Well, with everything that you've gone through, uh, what sort of advice would you have for anyone out there who is considering uh, being a living donor? I really, I mean, to me, everyone says it was such a big thing I did and such a wonderful sacrifice. And to me, it doesn't really feel like a sacrifice. Like I was out of work and, and you know, not up to par for three weeks. Um, but outside of that, I've gained so much more than I could have ever imagined. And I only lost a little kidney. Um, mm -hmm. so my family grew with Mr. Paul's family, you know, I'm closer to than ever with his family and just my, my family with my, my team Philadelphia that I traveled to the transplant games with, um, I've made lifelong friendships there and just going to the games in and of itself, like, not that you should ever give away an organ just to go on, you know, a vacation every other year, <laughs> but it's just, I mean, until you're there it like it's just heartwarming and to have complete strangers come up to you and thank you for doing something that didn't even like directly affect them it's just but how rewarding you don't realize how awesome it is until you're there and it makes such a big difference to everyone because they've they you know they've been waiting for the the organs they've been through the testing and the failure and the rejection and the excitement of getting an organ for it to fall through so for them to to see that I was just like nonchalant, like here, have my kidney, like they, mm -hmm. they appreciate that and respect that because they've been on the waiting side and they know how critical and, and time sensitive it is. Mm -hmm. It's just really awesome to, to realize that, yes, I only directly impacted one person, but it's so appreciated in, in that community. Well, and, and I think that certainly then speaks to the fact of, you know, if you can make a difference for one person, then you have really done something absolutely fantastic. And so you have. Yeah. 
And I, I really just hope that, you know, by going there as a living donor and, and sharing my story and competing alongside other living donors and the, the recipients themselves, it inspires other people to either be, you know, to register to be an organ donor mm-hmm. or to, you know, consider signing up to be a living donor. Um, and I think we really kind of sell ourselves short, short when we're at the transplant games. You have all of these supporters that are there for the recipients and, you know, the living donors and even the donor family members. Um, but if we really, you know, strike a chord, that's a big audience that we can, you know, try to to get some more living donors out of. Because ultimately, you know, there's more people needing kidneys than we can keep up with through the deceased registry. So I think mm-hmm. we have a, you know, good good market to spread the word and spread the the inspiration. Yeah. Well, you're so shy. We're going to have to work on you so you can help us out. Girl. <laughs> I, it's not that I'm shy. It's just I have a hard time balancing everything. <laughs> you are a great spokesperson. You got our attention. We're so happy that you're here um, spreading the word. And then um, you talked about touching Mr. Paul's life, but we know um, his wife, his child, his extended family. Like you've touched all of these lives. And that's right. what we say here on the podcast. One person making a difference. That one person is you, sister. So we hope that uh, this yeah. story inspires others for sure to help us make life happen. That's the goal. Yes, most definitely. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you. Tell Matthias and Miss Tammy we said hello. I most certainly will. And I, my mom was almost more excited to do the podcast than me. <laughs> she was sitting there like, make sure you say this, make sure you say that. <laughs> So if you don't mind, could I just give a shout out to my mom? Please do. Behind every living donor, there's a a support system. And that was one of the biggest things going through this process. They wanted to make sure um, I had a support system in place for the recovery to help me understand that I knew what I was doing and just kind of make sure I was making the decisions for the right reason. Um, And while everyone in my family, my fiance, now husband included, um, was supportive, um, I truly have no bigger supporter than my mom. She has gone to every single doctor's appointment, every single blood test, every single every single thing you could think of. Mm-hmm. My mom has been right there beside me, um, including going to the transplant games with me. Um, she jokes that I just take her along to carry all of my stuff. But there's truly not a, a, another person I would rather have at the games with me. She's gone through the entire experience and has been my biggest fighter trying to convince the doctors that this was going to happen. And, and they were wasting their time trying to convince me otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I just want my mom to know that I appreciate all of her support and that she is very much appreciated when it comes to this aspect of my life. Well, we recognize that bond. That was easy to see. And then she was just beaming with pride. Um, for you, which oh, is what we love to is. see. So we love it. Thank y'all so much for sharing your story. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, here on The Gifted Life, another incredible story unfolding that we want to tell you about. Ted Sheldon joins us now. Hey, Ted. Hey. Hey, we are focusing on living donation, that one person making a difference, that one person stepping up to the plate. Um, and that's kind of your story, right? So that transplant happened in February of 2016, and there was a friend in need, and that's kind of what, what prompted um, you to take action. So tell us about that. Yeah, I had um, met John back in 2002 at a conference down in Alabama, a church conference. Um, his, he had just lost his mother, and uh, 
we became friends through that and realized that he lived about 30 miles from where I grew up. And so we would come to visit him every time we'd come up and visit with my mom. And through that, as uh, time progressed, he became sick and had kidney failure and started the dialysis process. And I mentioned to him that if he needed help on anything to let us know. And about a year later, he said, hey, this was 2015. He goes, were you serious about, you know, wanting to donate a kidney and I said, well absolutely if it'll help you you know be a better father and be around your kids and absolutely he goes do you want to think about it and I'm like no God will either make it happen or God will make it not happen and so I started the testing through Ohio State Labor Day weekend 2015. Initially during the testing phase there was a setback right? Uh, Right off the bat we Mm. were he was, he was type O and I was, I believe, type A of some variation. Mm-hmm. And so we were obviously not going to be paired together. So it wouldn't be a direct link for him. But I signed on for the exchange knowing that somehow or another, um, you know, if I could qualify for the testing, then at least, you know, he could have a, somehow maybe he could get one. I didn't know. I didn't know near as much as I know now. But yeah, the exchange that he's talking about is kidney paired exchange or kidney paired donation, which we've talked about in a previous episode. Uh, and what happens in these situations, which is what you found yourself in, when you have someone who wants to be a living donor and the recipient don't match, there's a way now for uh, transplant centers to be able to com- communicate with other transplant centers and actually match up with a different potential recipient. And then that person's donor matches up with a different recipient. Amazing. And it it all ends up in a closed circle where everyone uh, exchanges, you know, or or donates a kidney and and receives. So it's a very neat thing that's going on, and it's really taken off and and created more donations or allowed for more donations to take place. So so what what really kept you going then? I mean, it sounds like you had a lot of adversity to deal with there what what kept you going or kept you trying to make this right um i just it, it was it was in a piece that i knew that everything that came up as an obstacle god had moved out of the way and, and that you know not that god told me to go do this or anything like that but that god was enabling this to happen for for some reason for his glory for you know, how it was going to happen just never made sense. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I know more about kidney transplants now than I did walking in. I kind of walked right. in dumb and blind <laughs> and like, you know, good old goober, you know, and, yeah. and, and happy to do it. But I've learned more about it. And, and, and it's um, it just that, you know, again, his son was maybe seven days older than my son. His youngest son was a month younger than my daughter. I mean, you know, he was pretty close in age to me. So, I mean, it's, you know, mm-hmm. put yourself in one of your friend's shoes, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm sitting there healthy as I'll get out and go play basketball and football with my kids. And Love life, yeah. He gets home from, he gets home from work and he's zapped. Mm-hmm. You know, he goes, you know, we go to church with him and he literally gets up and preaches and he's zapped. Mm. You know, and that's, that's, that's painful to watch your friends go through painful to think that there's so many people going through it. And you're trying to do something about it. Yeah. We just talked to Nicole, who gave a kidney to someone that she knew as well. I love these stories. They inspire me. 
Um, one of the things that yeah, people ask us, yeah, one of the things that people ask us about is um, like, how, how did your job react? How did your, your spouse react? Um, do you, um, can you fill us in on how that, how that impacted my you? My wife's reaction was hilarious because <laughs> my wife, we, we get along great. We've been married about 12 years and she's, she's just an absolute sweetheart. And she's like, well, Ted wants to go along with, I'll go along with this and everything will be fine. And I'm sure he'll, in her mind, I'm sure Ted will fail the test. There'll be something wrong and he won't be eligible to give. And it'll be just, I supported him and everything's cool. Yeah. And then we're sitting there, then we're sitting there in orientation. And, you know, the, the, the advocate whom I love dearly was, um, you know, talking with me and, and, uh, you know, social worker come through, went through all the, the different conversations and blood work and stuff. And, I look over at her and she had this really strange look on her face. And I'm like, you know, I'm the one getting, you know, needled and, and <laughs> run through the rigor. And I'm looking at her and she looked like she'd been through, you know, just World War III. And I'm like, what's wrong? She had this, I didn't think you'd make it this far oh. <laughs> or something to that effect. And I'm like, this is really happening. I'm like, oh, it just, I'm like, oh, this got real, didn't it? She's like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and uh, she cried, and I was like, are, are we still good? And she's like, we're here now, so we, <laughs> you know, got to keep going. And, I mean, she wasn't against it. She just kind of, you know, sometimes I come up with dumb ideas, and she figures, well, he'll pursue it until he falls on his face, and <laughs> that'll be the end of that little, you know, thing. That. But I didn't shut it down, so um, work was a little different. Um, it's my immediate boss knew about it, but most of the, most of his bosses didn't know. And, um, it was just strange. It's like everything was one way before the surgery. And I took about a month off and my ladies at the HR office, they were great. They helped me use uh, short-term disability. They helped me use vacation and sick time. I actually left me with a week of vacation that I could use later in the year, which I thought was really great of them. Yeah, that's. I nice. work in a small. I work in a small store, and see a lot of people don't realize FLMA only affects a certain size store, a certain size business oh, yeah. within a certain radius. And though my company as a whole has the number of employees you need, my store didn't. And I wasn't close enough to another store that actually got us there. So oh, yeah. I literally was on my own. So, oh, and there was, there seemed to be a little blowback when I got back from work, um, as far as different, how different bosses treated me and, and, and things like that. So it's, it's been different over the last two years than it was for the first 16 years with them. So it's, it's just a little interesting right now. So you saw this obviously as a as a, you know another hurdle you know with your job. So you've already had hurdle after hurdle, and then now you've got you know some job issues that that you've got to take care of. So so you didn't just stop there, uh, didn't you? Go to your congressman uh, to try to impact uh, some legislation there. Yeah, I did. Um, it, it was interesting. I'm in a, a local association, Home Builders Association. And we were talking about, um, we had a meeting set up right after I got back from the surgery. And we get about one meeting a year with uh, Congressman Palazzo. And um, he was in talking about insurance and what's going to happen with homeowners insurance. And I think he's, I think a lot of the states on the coast are going through some 
insurance woes. So we got a chance to talk with him. And uh, while we were walking out, one of my friends, you know, pointed out, I'd just come back from surgery. And he was, he stopped and talked to me for a second. There's only about 10 of us in the room. And I said, hey, by the way, if you would like to really help out, I said, there's a, a bill that's been written. I said, it's still in committee and all that. But if you could sign your name to it, it would, you know, help help the bill get more traction. Because I think at the time there's only 20, 20 co-sponsors to it. And I said, you know, if you could put your name on it, it doesn't cost anything, doesn't cost the government anything, doesn't cost employers anything. It just guarantees that somebody like me, that if I leave to do something like this, then it guarantees that they have a job when they get back. Right. And I had, uh, he gave me his uh, executive secretary's business card, and I had to call about every month and uh-huh. remind him to do it. And it Persistent. It took I a like while. It. Apparently, no, apparently, no cost bills in Congress are, <laughs> I don't know, not worth the effort. <laughs> they don't have enough juice, right? Funny. Yeah, there's, there's no hack money tied to it or exactly. something yeah. like that. So. so, Ted, you're doing really uh, well now, you had said? Oh, yes, yes. I would do it in a heart, and, and and there's a lot of us that I'm on a support group on Facebook, and most all of us would do it again in a heartbeat if we'd right. had another kidney to give. So, do you have any so, advice for our listeners that might be very helpful? Um, I would advise that you know if you have a loved one that's going through kidney disease to to look at the options, um, to look at getting tested. You may may not be an exact match for your loved one, but um, you may be a match for somebody else that maybe you know get you into an exchange. Um, mm-hmm. My recipient is a um, you know I didn't know her before the surgery. I didn't meet her until two days later, but she's a hospice nurse and she had a little boy that's mm-hmm. about a year or two older than my son. And Aww. again, you put yourself in somebody yeah. else's shoes and what she she loves her patients. She loves what she's doing, and you know you can't help but just you know love that this person actually has some more energy. I mean, you're talking about the, the young lady you guys talked with earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, she had to overcome the doctors telling her no. Right. And, uh, yeah, y'all are know, similar. I would, y'all push through, man. Yeah, I like that. I would, you know, look at different hospitals, you know, sometimes the, the, you know, there are certain hospitals that want the recipient to be in tip top physical shape. And some hospitals are like, Hey, we can make this work, um, just, you know, what have you. So it, it made me work to be a little bit healthier so that when I got there, you know, I wasn't risking everybody else's health. Um, you know, so I was exercising more. I was trying to eat healthier. I'd lost some weight. Um, you know, Not just give it a try. If yeah. one hospital says no or one center says no, you know, look at what they said and maybe look at a different center. You know, look at different options. Be persistent. I think the one thing that pushed me the hardest was that I think the statistic I last heard was 17 people die a day on the waiting list. I see similarities in you and Nicole's story. You're both vocal, uh, both educated yourselves, uh, both did what you guys were, um, you know, trained to do um, medically. And then you just wanted to help save lives and do good things. And so we appreciate you guys. Um, Hopefully your stories will inspire others here on the Gifted Life we talk about going out and do something you don't normally do to help make life happen. Well, man, Ted, you did it. So we appreciate the update, um, and, and we hope to continue to follow your story. But 
Thank you so much for joining us here on The Gifted Life. Thank you, guys. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. That hero today is Barry Brown. And we hear from Barry's family. His wings were ready, but our hearts were not. Barry was a devoted son, loving brother, and truest friend. He never met a stranger and always had a nice word for all. His laugh was unforgettable. His great generosity was known to many, and his enormous love for life was infectious. Some of his favorite times were sitting in his swing, watching the hummingbirds, and going fishing with his lifelong buddies. Barry will never be forgotten. His last act on earth was one of kindness, giving his eyes and tissue to the benefit of others in need. He left the same way he lived, always thinking of someone other than himself. And at this time, we pause and say thank you to Barry for the gift of life. On The Gifted Life, we love when you send in um, questions. We like to learn together. Uh, This question came in, guys. Is living donation, something we're talking about today, is living donation protected under FMLA? Yeah, and of course, uh, FMLA is Family Medical Leave Act, and that protects us uh, if we get injured or ill uh, that we can't be uh, let go from a job Mm -hmm. uh, just from because of medical purposes. As of August... Uh, August 29th, to be exact, uh, living donors' jobs are protected. But not only that, one of the bigger uh, implications is, in addition to that, it prohibits life, disability, and long-term care uh, insurance companies from denying or limiting coverage and for charging higher premiums for living organ donors. So that's a huge change. And that's new. Yeah. Maybe you want to read more about that. Go to myast.org. That's the American Society of Transplantation. So myast.org under the new section, and you can find more about the FMLA Act as it ties to living donation. If you'd like to know more information about this or anything that we've been talking about today or in other episodes, you can always reach us at email at info at giftedlife.org. Or don't forget, you can give us a call. What's that number, oh, Sal? Oh, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> 504-648-3477. We'd really like to hear from you, um, and hopefully you'll give us a call. do it for episode 93 folks a whirlwind right yeah we thank nicole gladfelter and ted sheldon for shining a spotlight on living donation sharing their stories of persistence constantly being told no 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 from so many angles and then pushing through and you know what joey really what came to my mind was you know, it's easy just to say, well, okay. I, tried. I might as well, yeah, I <laughs> yeah. tried. I, I wanted to help somebody, yep. but all these roadblocks are the my that way. counts. Yeah. yeah. But they went on to actually go through with it, caring, compassionate, mm. looking yep. out for their fellow human being. I mean, that's, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, very special. Inspires me, guys. You know, we always talk about um, go out and do something that you don't normally do to help make life happen did it, right? Mm-hmm. They took that. The um, yeah, hopefully this inspires you to take action. If you're not a registered organ, tissue, and eye donor, you can do that now. Registerme.org, guys. As always, thanks for tuning in to The Gifted Life, and we hope to see you for the next one. 
This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Sally Gentry. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez.